0: The scripture reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. Even in Thessalonica, you send me to help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from epaphroditus sorry, the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours,
1: Let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and go to that text that was just read for us. That's on page 982 if you're using one of the Bibles uh, provided for you there in the seats there. So today we are finishing up our sermon series in the book of uh, Philippians that we went through pretty quickly in just seven sermons. Um, and uh, we did that by design. And not that we, we could have spent a lot more time in the book, but this time we did a survey and uh, next week we begin our Advent series, it's going to be the Family Tree of the Messiah, that's going to be our, our theme for our Advent series, we start that next Sunday. So grateful for our time that we can spend together in God's Word each week, and uh, we look forward to finishing this up here one thing I've, I failed to say about the Christmas breakfast um, sign up for that if you're planning on being here it's just helpful in uh, planning and you know getting supplies and things like that so there's a sign up sheet by the office window there we'd love for everyone to be there and just have a great time together so uh, I just want to make sure I mentioned that uh, that helps our people who are planning those things so, so the text has been read to us and so this is going to be a a time of where we, we kind of round this out now here now you know Paul he has he's talked a lot about joy in his letter and now he's revisiting something what brings him joy he's mentioned that before in the first part of the book but most of the time when he brings up joy he's he's encouraging the philippian church the philippian christians to have joy and so now he comes back to the situation where or what he says what brings him joy and it was really the flipping generosity that brought joy to Paul when he was under house arrest in Rome because remember that, this, that he's in house arrest here remember we've talked about this several times but just by way of a uh, reminder Paul was arrested and we read about this in the at the end of the book of Acts and so in Acts chapter 28 we see that Paul he is under house arrest and he's there for two whole years and people come to him and and, and, and bring him and visit him and he was allowed visitors now later 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 on in 2 Timothy, we're going to read about another imprisonment that Paul's in, and that's a much worse imprisonment, and it's different. There's no visitors or things like this. But this is house arrest that he's under. And it was important that people would come to him because in the Roman uh, uh, penal system, there was no uh, way for... Uh, uh, they didn't provide food for the, the the inmates there or in house arrest. So, in order for someone to get food or supplies or something that someone from the outside had to bring that in and, and and provide it for them. So, for Paul to have people bring gifts to him, that literally was his his survival line. And so, it was the flipping generosity that brings Paul joy here. Now, when I was thinking about this, so was, we're going to use the word generosity quite a bit in this sermon here. So, so let's frame that real quickly here. What do we mean by generosity here? There's a lot of different definitions out there. You can look at Webster's, Merriam-Webster's diff- Dictionary, and you have an app, probably a dictionary app. If you don't have a dictionary app on your phone, it's a good one to have, right? Okay, and so you can look up words and things like that. You'll get different ideas about what generosity is. You know, it's usually a helpful definition like the state of being generous, Thank you. Okay. All right. And then you look up generous, you know. And and it's like being, you know, generosity or whatever is like this circular loop. But here's for for our purposes what we're going to do is we're going to define generosity as giving more than what is expected. Okay. But do you think it's a fair definition? Giving more than what is expected. Okay, that's generosity. That's how we're going to use this today. And so if I was going to frame our sermon around one phrase uh, that I want to think about today, it would be this one right here is this. Generosity generates joy. Okay, generosity generates joy. Okay, that's what we're going to go for today. So what does this text teach us about generosity? There's going to be three important truths that if we understand them well... It will help generate joy in our associations, whether it be in family, whether it be in a work environment, whether it be in our church environment. Three truths by generosity that will help us generate joy. So, let's pause and pray, ask God's blessing, and then we're going to dive into the text. Father, thank you that we can spend time looking at your word for the next several minutes here. God, I, I, I'm just grateful that I have the opportunity to stand in front of the, these people whom I love and 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 open the word and talk about it. But God, I need your spirit's guidance on this. And we all need your spirit's leading to, to, as we interpret the text, the scripture that is open before us. This is your word. This isn't mine. This isn't ours. This is your word. And we want to be very careful with it. And so the things that I say, God, I pray that they would be accurate to the text, that they'd be helpful, they'd be relevant, and they'd be clear, and that this would be a, a time that when we spend together, it would be it would be something that would uh, push us forward as a church and as individuals uh, in our sanctification journey as we're trying to be more like Christ. May this be a turning point for others. May this be a turning point where uh, we, uh, a life has changed, where they reflect on the generosity, your generosity. Um, and then may we live, lead and live generous lives. So may this time be profitable by your spirit's enablement. For it's in Christ's name we do pray, amen. So three truths. First of all is this, that generosity is a heart disposition, not a financial transaction. We see this in the text here where what Paul is really happy about here, he makes it very clear that he's not so much primarily impressed about the gift, although that was very appreciated. And one of the things I love about this, by the way, and I may mention this later on, is that I love the fact that even a bold speaker like the Apostle Paul, when it came to giving and money, he felt he had to make some qualifications, okay, because it's difficult to talk about these things. In fact, I'm going to be talking about giving during this message here, and this is one of the first messages in almost 10 years that I'm really going to be talking about giving or talking or things like that. It's just because, one, it's just not a a subject that pastors like to talk about because it sounds so self-serving in some ways. And and it's just, and then there's a a stigma attached to like all the church is always about money and things like this. And and so we try to downplay that in some ways, but I wouldn't be a faithful shepherd if I didn't talk about this at some time, and it's probably been overdue, but, but I surely wouldn't be a faithful teacher of God's word if when we come to a text of scripture where this is a main part of it, I skipped over it right? And so, but what I appreciate about this is that even the Apostle Paul, as bold as he was, and Paul was much more bold than I am, he felt that he had to make some qualifications in this. He had to say, well, it's not really the gift that was so much that I'm impressed with. It was your heart, is really what he's saying here. He says, I rejoice in the greatly. I'm in verse 10. How that at length you had revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned me, but you had no opportunity. Now he says, not that I speak in need, for I have whatever situation be content. But he says, I'm just so grateful. What has brought me joy is your generosity here. Now, the word in verse 10 there, revived, and we have it translated in, the, in our translation or my translation here, the English Standard Version of revive your concern, it really is a botanical metaphor for something to blossom again. So for those of you who enjoy the planting, and then when the springtime comes and these, these, uh, are these what are those called? Uh, the Annuals, perennials, what are they called? Per- perennials okay okay all right okay you can tell that this is my jam here okay <laughs> all right okay so um so when these things come up perennials they come up again okay you know that's like oh here it is again here it is i remember when we moved into a house not the one we had but this is down in rockford i remember when we moved in we bought the house and we moved in and then the spring came up and these tulips flood remember this they're like tulips just came up i was like How did that happen? Well, obviously, the former owners had planted some tulips at some point, which then I mowed over by accident. So uh, the point is is that these things just pop up again. When it says here he revived, that he's saying that that their generosity revived, it's like it sprang up again, like out of the ground. It was already there, but it came up again. There's another opportunity for it. So the Philippian generosity is repeatedly blossoming. That's what he's getting at here. He says, this is what brings me joy. When I see this again coming up again, Again, because he had seen it before, and we're going to get into when that is. And then now it's, he's seen it again. Because remember, Epaphroditus had brought a gift to them while he was in prison or under house arrest. And, he, and, and this gift is what it was such a blessing to him. And then he's sending the Epaphroditus back with this letter, thanking him for the gift. He says, The fact that your generosity is a blossoming again, it shows that it's in your heart. And this is what's bringing me joy. Now, he, he, he says, At last. Okay, or at length. Uh, Other translations say at last. Uh, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern. Some translations say at last there. Some people think that that means like, okay, Paul might have been saying, okay, finally, after a long time, you finally got around to meet my needs. I don't think that's the case. I don't think that the context would lead us to understand it that way. In fact, actually, it's very clear what he says is that they had wanted to give, but they just didn't have the opportunity. And now what he's rejoicing is that their heart, their generous heart, finally has an opportunity to do what it wants. That's what he's saying. He says, "He goes. I know that you were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So, what Paul's qualifying here, his statement here, is that it's not just the gift; it was to Philippians' heart that brought him joy." He said because he goes, it, it's not so much the joy because he makes this qualification about that he's learned to be content, and this is one of those verses that a lot of people memorize or they'll put on, on uh, uh, you know little coasters or things like this. Also, verse thirteen, which we'll get to, but these are two very powerful verses. But I've learned to be content in whatever situation I'm in. Now, the reason why Paul, the reason why Paul was saying that, was because he was trying to show them, it wasn't so much the gift, it was their heart. He said, I've learned to be content. He says, I've had a lot. There's been times in my life where I've had so much. I've had uh, plenty and I've been uh, in abundance. And I've learned to be content in that situation. He says, but I've been brought low. I've had nothing. I've also learned to be content there. So he was saying it's not so much about a change in lifestyle that the gift would give him is what brought him joy. It was the fact that these people, they were able to be generous. And they were ready to live out their generous heart. That's what brought him immense joy. Now, I told you it's hard for us to, to talk about money sometimes because, you know, it does seem like, you know, the, 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 there's, I'll tell you, there's two reasons why it's hard to talk about money, okay, as a pastor bad theology and charlatans, okay? That's the reason why, you know, I just want to say in the honest, like, whatever I say here, please understand this. We reject wholeheartedly prosperity theology, okay? The prosperity gospel. We reject that. You say, I don't know what that is. You ain't missing much, okay? All right? What that teaches is that God wants everyone to be wealthy and healthy And that if there is a reason why we don't have wealth, it's because there's some sin in our life or something. And so what these charlatan preachers will say, and you see them on TV, is that if you sow a seed and you give, then God will abound and God will bless. And there's truth to that. That's the thing that makes it so bad, is that there's a truth to the fact that God blesses generosity. And we're going to talk about that. But God has never promised that all of us are going to be rich. In fact, it's been the opposite. And so Paul here, he's kind of dancing a little bit here and saying, listen, it's not about the money here. It's not about the money. It's about your heart. And that's what brought him joy, absolutely brought him joy. And, you know, it's a generous person. is someone who gives absolutely cheerfully. So when we're looking at this here, we're looking at this idea of of what Paul is saying here. He's saying, this is what's generating joy in my life is your generosity. He says it's not even about the gift. It's about your heart. This is one of the reasons why we put that $5 limitation on our gift exchange, because it's not about the gift, right? It's about that generous heart, about giving and celebrating the birth of Christ, of having this big celebration, right? We, we celebrate a lot of things, and we get energetic, right? If, if you were at my house yesterday around, I don't know, 2, 3 o'clock, okay? I had 45 reasons to be happy, all right? All right? And a team that I won't talk about had 23 reasons not to be happy, all right? I mean, there was a lot of joy, right, okay? You know, there was, there was jumping off the chair, and, you know, like, you know, when Advers was running down the field, go, 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 you know, and I look at my wife, she's like, who did I marry, <laughs> you know, type thing. There's a lot of joy in that, right? Now, wait a minute here. If I can get so excited about something like that, what about the birth of Jesus Christ, You know, let's not be so reserved, okay? And so you say, well, you know, I don't know if I like this gift exchange thing and stuff. Oh, come on! All right, let's make merry together, right? You know, so fill out the profile. There's eighty-one, okay? So fill out the profile. All right, eighty-two. So make sure that we get together because we want to have generosity. It's not about the gift; it's about our heart towards one another. You know, this is one of the reasons why we're doing that, okay? So for Paul, what generated joy was this idea of. That their heart was in it. Okay, let's move on to number two. A second thing about generosity that's so important is that we understand that generosity eases burdens. We need to see this in verse 14. Actually, before I go there, I, I, I got ahead of myself a little bit. I do need to just make one quick mention about verse 13 because it's often used out of context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, I had a, a, an acquaintance of mine I went to college with, and he was big into weight training and stuff. And this was his verse, right, you know, because it had 10 words in it, and it was just 10 reps. And he would say, this is how I lift weight. I can do all things. You know, he'd go through the whole thing, and everything. That, that, that's not what the verse is about, okay? The verse isn't about, you know, you can do whatever you want, right? You know, he's like, wow, this is how I get through it and everything. Well, I said, well, what if I would put 100 pounds on a barbell? Could you still do it? Did the verse stop meaning something? You know, well, no, that's not what the verse says. What Paul is saying here is he's saying he can do all things. What he means by that is he can be content in all circumstances. Look at the context. That's what he's saying. He's saying the reason why I can be content and the reason why I don't have to get worked up about the size of the gift, it's more about the heart, is because I can do all things through Christ. Because my contentment is not rooted in the size of a gift. It's rooted in the heart and the disposition that's reflecting Christ. And he says, it's Christ, my satisfaction in Christ. So it doesn't matter what gifts I get or don't get or the size of them. He says, it's Christ. So again, going back to that heart thing, I needed to mention that. So number two. Generosity eases burdens. Generosity eases burdens. You see, the Macedonian churches of which Philippi was a part of, so you need to understand this, is that there's when you hear the word Macedonia in the scriptures, that's a region. Okay, that's not the city, that's a region. So if you're reading like in Acts chapter 8, let's say, and you uh, and uh, you see Paul talking about where they're going to go on their missionary journey, then there's the vision of the Macedonian man, okay? That's about a person from a region, okay? So it'd be similar to like a county or something like this, so Dane County or whatever. So it's not one specific city, it's a region. So the Philippi was a city, and this is where the church was that Paul's writing to, and, and and they were known, the Macedonians macedonian churches which philippi was a big part of they were known for the generosity now how do i know that because again if you would read about it in second corinthians chapter 8 i put it on the screen so in second corinthians chapter 8 paul's writing to the corinthians and what he's doing here is he's saying i want you to learn from the macedonian churches of which philippi is a part of he says i want you to learn from them because he says this We want you to know, brothers, talking to the Corinthians, about the grace of God that has been given among the church of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the uh, favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So what Paul was doing is he was gathering a gift to help the church in Jerusalem that was going through a terrible famine. It was a terrible situation. And so he's going to these other churches. And in the Macedonia area, and as he was going on his journey, his, his missionary journeys, he's collecting money. So that then when he gets back to Jerusalem, he can give it all to them as, and be an, uh, a relief to the saints, to the, the brothers and sisters there in Jerusalem. So when he gets to Macedonia... He sees that they give first of their means, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but then beyond their means as well. But notice it was out of their poverty even. These were people that didn't have a lot, but they were giving everything that they could, first of, of what little they had, and then even more abundance of that. And so when he's talking to the Corinthians, Paul says, look at these Macedonian churches. This is the example to follow in terms of generosity here. But when we go back to this text here that we read about, yet it was kind of you, verse 14 of Philippians 4, it was kind of you to do what? To share my trouble. It was the flipping generosity that was helping ease the burden that Paul was under. He'd learned to be content, but still God was using the flipping generosity to, to give to them and to ease that burden. And and I love this text where it talks about these Macedonian churches of which Philippi was part of is out of their poverty. And I'll just put a side note here that it's often those with the least financial means who are the most generous. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it is that the people that have the least are often the ones that give the most? I think partly is because they know what it's like, truly like, to be in need. And they truly know what it means to have someone help them. See, sometimes we get pretty self-sufficient. That's good. But we lose some things when that happens. And here Paul is saying, he says, you shared my burden. You shared my trouble. It would have been easy for them to forget about Paul, out of sight, out of mind. They made it, they were earnest about sending gifts. And we're going to read not just once, but twice while he was there, while he was in Thessalonica there. It says that they were partners. Did you notice that partner language? It says, When I left Macedonia, I'm in verse 15, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Again, I don't think he was condemning the other churches. I think he's just highlighting their generosity. But notice the connection between their giving and the partnership. Did you notice that? He says, they entered in partnership with me by giving to what I need. Because why was he in prison? He was there for the gospel's sake. And he viewed them as supporting him as a partner in the ministry here. And we know that this Philippian church sent help to Paul at least twice while he was in Thessalonica. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. If you were to go back to the book of Acts, and again, please understand when you read Paul's letters in the New Testament, your mind should always be thinking Acts. Where does this find in Acts? In Thessalonica, that's Acts 17, okay? You go back to Acts 17, and you think, okay, what happened there? Acts 17, Paul gets to Thessalonica, and, and Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is very clear that Paul was there for three Sabbaths, okay? At least three Sabbaths he was there, and he ministered. So I was starting to do the math. How far is Thessalonica from Philippi? So if they sent aid to Paul while he was in in Thessalonica, how far was that? It's about 95 miles, okay? So if you're walking, it's a three to four day journey. So probably what happened, and there's plenty of time within that time frame, we know he was there at least 21 days, could have been more depending on how the Sabbath fell, you know, when he got there, when he left. But the point is this, is that they had time to do this, but probably what happened, this is what I'm imagining happened, okay? Again, this is just me Reading into the story of like here's what I think happened. I'm trying to be very clear in that I, I don't have biblical proof that this is how it happened but I, I, this is what I think happened they collected money just like we're collecting coats right and they said hey we got to have this by this date because we got to get it to Paul okay and so they collected it they got together and so Monday they, they sent the messenger hit the Thessalonica okay he's on the road Monday afternoon someone shows up got my offering you know well, we, we, we already collected it, and we sent it. You know, well, I want to give, right? You know, this, by the way, sign up early, not late. But anyway, the point is, is that, um, you know, they took them, they probably said, well, let's send another guy. And so they probably sent another guy. So probably this is why we had a couple gifts going in such a short amount of time. Again, I'm just trying to piece this together here from a cultural standpoint, but it's just fascinating to think through these nuances. When you read your Bible, enter into the narrative, okay? When you read your Bibles, ask these questions. How do they get it there? How far, how far is that? Why do they do it twice? These are questions you should be asking yourself as you're reading your scriptures. It just makes it so much, come alive so much more than just, you know, reading the quick narrative, okay? A little tidbit on how to read your Bibles there. So we know that he gave, that they gave to him a couple times during the time of Thessalonica. So all this to say is that they were Um, trying to meet his needs to ease the burden that he had. And this is what generosity does. And it takes generosity to do that. Remember, generosity is giving more than it is expected here. And so if we're going to ease each other's burdens, then it's going to take more than sometimes what we think. If if we're going to be a generous church, which I think in many ways God has blessed our church in this idea of generosity here. And so this is, a, this is an idea of, of we need to continue to do what God is encouraging us to do already. But if we're going to ease one another's burdens in the ministry of our church, and the ministry burdens of our church, it's going to require more time than what we want to give. Serving, volunteering, helping. We've got to be generous with our time. It's going to cost more money than a lot of times what we want to give. Ministry costs money. It's going to take more energy. When we, we feel like Netflix, Hulu, football, or Hallmark, we need, we need to put that off a little bit, you know, and then serve to meet someone else's needs and to minister amongst the body here. It's going to take more attention. A generous person puts the thought and attention into easing burdens and partnering in ministry even when we don't want to think anymore. Have you ever gotten to that point where you're like, I just don't want to think? have you ever been there okay you've been there it's like i, I just i just don't want to think anymore i get it i get it but sometimes we got to dig deep and say, okay, I got to meet someone's burden, ease this burden here, meet this need here. And that's generous even with our thinking at times, right? Help them work through something. It's going to take more uh, uh, words. A generous person listens and talks when they don't feel like doing it anymore. A, a generous person is generous with their influence. They use their gifts and their abilities to help others, even if there's no obvious benefit to themselves. A, a generous person is generous with their prayers, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much according to James and so if we're going to be a church that eases the burdens of other people we've got to be generous across the board we've got to be a generous church and generous individuals if you're going to have effective influence in uh, uh, someone's life in your family's life you've got to be a generous person I, I just did a funeral on Friday Okay, community uh, asked me I did it at the, the Sherman uh, Avenue location of Ryan Funeral Home and, uh, you know, as I often do, I have another one on Wednesday, by the way, you can pray about that, but uh, it, it, as, I, um, as, I, as I talk with the family members, and, uh, and I ask them to tell stories, and I say, because I try to get to know these people just a little bit, so that when I do a funeral, I can, I can talk out on a more personal level, right, so it's not so cold and, and impersonal. And, uh, you know, this, it was an interesting thing about this, this person that I, I was honored to do the funeral for this last Friday. He was someone who started out as a CPA and then ended up as a mechanic, okay? Made a change there. And, um, but you know, when I talked to people and I read stories about him, here's what I found out about it. People said, you know, he answered the phone when I called, he listened to me, he was honest. You know, these were the things that people were remembering. When 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 I asked people, then uh, I always asked the, the people the the, the next weekend to, you know, do you want me to have a time of people sharing memories? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, and, and in this case they did, and it was packed. It, it, was, it was a packed out place, and um, I said, so does anybody have any stories they want to share? And people they just started sharing stories about, you know, he listened, you know, he was involved. You know, and I made this point, is that the things that are influential to other people are really the more basic things in life. Answering a phone. Someone said in his business, that he, he called me by name. He used my name. That was influential to that person. You see, we're talking about generosity here. Giving more than is expected. It shouldn't be more than is expected in today's society, but it is. It is. And so let me just encourage us that we use our generosity to ease other people's burdens, to minister, to influence them in ways that only God, that only we can do by God's provision. So generosity generates joy because it's a heart disposition, but also because God uses generosity, he's asked us to be generous, to ease each other's burdens. And finally, as we, as we uh, round third base here and head towards home, generosity pleases God. This is so important for us to remember. That generosity is something that is pleasing to God. Look at verse 17. It says this Not that I seek the gift. Again, he's qualifying it again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Interesting language here. I have received full payment and more, and am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. There's sacrificial language here. I mean, he's saying that the flipping generosity that was giving to help them was an act of worship on their part because it was about gospel ministry. It was about, about helping the gospel minister here. So he was saying that, that this is, this is a pleasing to God. So I guess the question is, why do you think generosity pleases God so much? Well, why is it so important to God that we're generous? Why is that? Again, These are questions you ask yourself as you read your Bible, okay? Why is this so important? Well, number one, I think, is because God is generous, and God likes it when we imitate Him. You know, He is incredibly generous towards us. Think of what you have, what you enjoy. Every person in this room lives in a way that is better than most people in the world, honestly, honestly. God's been incredibly generous to us. And so why should we not be generous to other people? You know, when we were doing the uh, thanksgiving dinner and people would thank me or or uh when we did the the main street trick-or-treating thing we we're giving out candy and a bunch of stuff someone says man you guys are giving a lot and honestly i would often say this is the reason why so god's been generous to us god's been generous and we want to show that to other people we want to show how generous god is see it pleases god our generosity is because we're imaging him we're reflecting him and that's what he's asked us to do but also i think it's because of Jesus' sacrificial work Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Why does generosity please God so much? Because he was incredibly generous to us. Jesus was by giving up everything he had and taking on poverty so that we could have riches. This is why it's so important. This is why it pleases God. And so this is my parents. We should really be instilling generosity into our children. So do you model generosity to your kids? But not with just your money, with your time. With your time. Do, do your kids see you being generous with your time and your energy towards other people? So we need to model this, right? We need to instruct them to give. So we've talked a lot about giving and generosity and things like this. So let, me, let me just close with some, some practical Thoughts. I told you I was going to talk about tithing because a lot of times people, they, 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 this idea of tithing comes up when you think about giving uh, at a church, okay? So w- what is tithing and, um, um, you know, do we teach that we need to tithe here, okay? So the short answer is tithing means, the word tithes means a tenth, okay? So if you go back into the Old Testament or the First Testament, you would go back and you would see um, this instruction that God gave Israel, that they were to give a tenth, uh, the first tenth that we, or the first tithe that we really have, uh, it actually goes before the law, and that was the idea of Melchizedek. Uh, giving to Abraham, or Abraham giving to Melchizedek, actually, uh, a, of a tenth, okay? And then we see when the law came in that there would be a tenth of the first fruits that Israel was supposed to give, okay? So this, this tenth, so a tenth percent uh, of, you know, whatever, you know, their income was, uh, that whether it be crops or cash or whatever it was, they were to, to give to the Lord. And God was very clear about it, that this is mine. And, and he says, you give it to me, and if you don't, it's robbery, okay? So it's was very clear about this. So the question comes: Okay, that's fine in the Old Testament here, but is there a New Testament command to do tithing? Well, no, there's not a command to do that. Okay, and actually, if we study tithing a little bit, there, there was actually more than one tithe. Okay, if we look in the Old Testament, we see that there was actually three tithes that Israel was supposed to give, and the third one was every three years. So really, it worked out to be about 23% every year was what they were supposed to give, okay, in offerings, okay? Now, we go to the New Testament here, and people say, well, yeah, some people are very vehement about this, and they say, you know, it's not commanded in the New Testament, We don't have to tithe. And technically, they're true, right? It is. And so we don't teach here that you have to give 10%, okay? Um, but I like what Randy Alcorn, he wrote this really good book and I encourage you to read it. It's called, uh, the biblical guide to managing God's money. I think is the title of it. Randy Alcorn, the biblical guide to managing God's money. I believe is the title. Good little book on this. Picked it up recently. Um, and he's got some really helpful things. You know what he calls tithing? He calls it the training wheels of giving. <laughs> I like that the training wheels of giving, he says, here's the deal. He says, we're supposed to have an idea of what to give, and we're supposed to be generous with our giving. And he says that, you know, if if in the Old Testament that this was kind of the basics of of where they were supposed to start giving, then that should be something that we should take into consideration here, particularly if it was more than 10 percent, it was actually 23 percent, uh, 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 every year it would work out to be he says you know it's really not that much to ask for so tithing is something that a lot of people that's like a baseline giving that's something that years ago Anook and I we when we first got married when we started to talk about finances and things we said how what are we going to how are we going to give to the church what's going to be our strategy and we talked through this. I don't know if you remember this, okay? We talked through this, okay, are we gonna tithe are we not gonna tithe? And because some people look at this legalistically, right? And, and Jesus even says, don't do it legalistically. And so, you know, like I heard one preacher recently say, you don't need to tithe the spice rack, okay? All <laughs> right, you know, it, it's, you know? We have to be legalistic about it, but at the same time, it's a good guide. And so what we decided, I'm just telling you what we did, we decided, okay, that's gonna be our, our, our base, okay? So we're gonna work towards that of like, that's gonna be our, our, our base giving. And then as God puts on our hearts to be generous towards other people and other ways and things like that, we're going to give above and beyond that, okay? So that's what we do, right? And I know a lot of people do that as well. So is it, is it something that is required? No, but it's really, really good. Now, some people think, man, 10%, that's, that's kind of a lot. Um, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of money to give. I don't know if I can do that. Well, um, I, I think, yeah, I read in Elkhorn's book again. He said this, he said, you know, I ask people that have that that pushback. He says, if you were to lose 10% of your income today, would you die? No, you would. You would figure it out. Now, again, this isn't me strong arming everyone to say, you got to give 10% here. But what I'm trying to do is push against this idea of, well, it's not really that important because here's what's happened. We were in a situation where it was like, you had to give 10%. I remember being taught as a kid, and I was in a church context, and God bless him, that my my junior church teacher, and I learned so much from him, but I remember he did teach. He said, listen, if you don't tithe, God's going to get it out of you. I remember this lesson. He says, I had some money, and I didn't tithe on it, and you know what happened to me, boys and girls? I got a flat tire on my way home. God got the money out. that's not good theology. (laughs) All right. God bless him. He's in heaven. He knows more of Jesus than I do. I'm indebted to him in so many ways. And right now he knows that was a bad lesson. (laughs) Okay. All right. And he's thankful for the grace of God, you know, and that's it. Right. I mean, again, I'm not trying to speak bad of it, but that was a, that was a, that was a thinking. So there's a push against that. There's, no, we don't need that. That's legalistic. We don't want to do that. And so we just give whatever we kind of want, right? Because we can give out of, out of our hearts. So what happens is, is then we give less and less, and we don't give at all, right? So the point is, is that where do we start? Well, listen, I'm not going to tell you, you have to do the tithes. That's not my point. But my point is, how do you make that decision? What is your baseline? Are you working towards something? Do you have a strategy? Those are the questions you should be asking. And if you want to talk more about it, I'd be happy to talk with you about it some more. But... But people, um, Malachi actually addresses people who were not giving at all to God. They come back from exile. So if you go over the book of Malachi, uh, you wanted to turn there because we don't have time. But, but if you were to go there, you'd see that this is a book that they're, they're coming back from exile. It's post exile book. And so um, they were rebuilding. They come back from exile. So they're rebuilding their homes. And what had happened was is that they were so busy working on all the projects of getting their businesses back up and running and getting their houses up and running and all this stuff that they weren't giving at all uh, in their worship. And so the temple was, was, uh, was, was in disrepair because that's how it was funded and all this stuff. And so they, they stopped giving as worship uh, because they didn't think that they could afford it. And so Malachi told him, he says, listen, let God prove how he will provide for you when you do give. And so I give the same challenge. Here's what Malachi says in Malachi chapter 3. He says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. "'Return to me, and I will return to you,' says the Lord of hosts. "'But you say, how shall we return? "'Will man rob God? "'Yet you are robbing me.'" This is what God's saying, you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, and there will be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more. Now, again, I'm not saying that we have to do the tithes, okay? That's not commanded in the New Testament. But generous giving is. It eases burdens. It shows our heart's disposition. It pleases God. And this is why it is absolutely important. I meant to put a, a, a graphic up there that David gave to me. Uh, I asked about the, and I forgot to put it in, so David, sorry about that. You got it for me, and I didn't use it. But it breaks down, and if you're interested, I'll show it to you. It breaks down of, of how many giving units support our budget here. Okay. And I think it was like 50% of the income is by eight giving units. Now, I don't know who these people are, what the giving units are. I don't have, I don't, you know, look at that information. I have no idea. But I just know we have 63 giving units to make up our entire budget. Okay. And eight of them support 50% of it. Okay. That's a lot. Okay. And we had some that haven't haven't really given anything yet. So again, my my, art, and this is one of those messages where it's like, I don't like doing it because, you know, of all the qualifications that Paul had to go through and all of his dancing of like, yeah, I'm not really talking about money because I want all this money. I feel the same pressure, but I also feel like I gotta be a faithful shepherd and teacher of God's word and push us and say, we've got to be generous because again, like Paul says, it's not the gift, verse 17, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. God blesses this when we're generous it pleases him, and so this is the point of this. So how do we give here? Well, we can give through our time. We can give through our energy, all those things that we talked about earlier. Here, if you don't know how to give, you know, there's an offering box. We can give online. There's planned giving, a better use of your estate than to continue gospel endeavors after your journey on earth is done. Um, but be gracious in your giving. Be generous in your giving. So what I did in the sermon is on the front end, I kind of did, I I took a page from like Ephesians where the first part is like kind of doctrinal heavy and the second part is like more practical application here. Here's what I want us to understand about giving. Number one, we have to be generous in our hearts. God loves a cheerful giver. I want us to use our generosity to ease the burdens of other people, okay? And then I also want us to understand that generosity pleases God. So I'm trying to implore us to be generous and then I want any of you to talk about some practical ways for us to be generous here and and how we frame that. So again, I'm just trying to bring the tithing thing back up into the thing as a goal, as something at least for you to think and pray about and think about, okay? If you have questions, see me, talk to me. I'd be more than happy to to answer these questions that you have about tithing and all that stuff, but the point is not, it's not so much about the amount of money. I don't know who gives what. That's not the point. It's the more generous we are as a church in all facets, time, money, energy, the more impact we're going to have on other people and the more we're going to please the Lord. And isn't that our goal? To influence others and please God.